I love that. The highest name has set me free. That is what we're going to be digging into a little bit this morning. Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to be with you here on this rainy morning after the July we've had. I am never going to complain about rain again, I don't think. I think I've, I've learned my lesson about complaining about it. Uh, so when I was first asked to teach as part of this summer series, we were told that we were going to be picking passages from Paul's letters in the New Testament, or actually any letters in the New Testament. And the goal or the kind of what we were supposed to focus on was words that offered wisdom in terms of how we live Christian life. And I immediately thought of the book of Galatians. I knew that's where I was picking my passage from, even though my husband who taught last week said, well, I want to teach in the book of Galatians. I said, that's fine if two speakers can, but I call dibs if only one can. Um, And I was thinking of Galatians for a few reasons. One, it is one of my favorite books in the New Testament. I love it so much, I did a thesis on it. Uh, and that's true love, Um, and it didn't ruin the experience for me. In fact, I just love the letter more and more now, so uh, I knew I wanted to do it because it was one of my favorites. I also wanted to choose Galatians because I think Paul offers a really beautiful picture, a really beautiful argument, actually, on what it means to be the people of God, on what it means to belong to the family of God. And when I say that it comes through an argument, I I mean that very seriously. Galatians is one of Paul's most argumentative letters. He seems very angry when he writes this letter. He is not particularly nice to the people in Galatia, but there is so much energy and conviction behind what he's writing. And this morning I want to look at two passages in Galatians. You can turn in your Bibles to Galatians 5 if you want to get ready. Uh, But I chose two passages in Galatians from Galatians 5 and Galatians 6. And I think Paul does some very interesting summarizing in these passages, but also addresses very specific concerns about what this church is going through. And Yes, they are very specific to the context in the church in Galatia, but I still think they're really applicable today. So we are in Galatians 5. We are reading verses 1 to 6, and then we're going to move over to Galatians 6, and we're going to read verses 12 to 16. So Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself get circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await the spirit, the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Turning to Galatians 6, starting in verse 12. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world." Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. 
What counts is new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this, to the Israel of God. This is the word of the Lord. So I'm going to give you a very quick disclaimer. You are going to hear the word circumcised more times this morning in a short span of time than you've probably ever heard in your life. Let's get ready for it. So Beverly Gaventa, she is a scholar and an expert on both Paul and Galatians, and she wrote this very interesting article called, Is Galatians Just a Guy Thing? It's a good title. It's very thought-provoking. And it's a very valid question if you read Galatians start to finish, which I very much recommend you do. Excuse me. What I recommend you doing, it is only six chapters. But Galatians, more than any other letter addresses a very specific concern happening within this congregation. And Paul is writing an argument against circumcision. And he's telling the Galatians that you should not get circumcised. And at the time, circumcision is specifically a Jewish rite of passage. It identified males as belonging to Israel and their families as belonging to Israel, the family of God. God's chosen people. Circumcision was the sign that was given to Abraham, that he was going to be the patriarch of Israel. He was going to be the father of many. And God made a covenant with him. And the sign of this covenant was circumcision. And Abraham himself got circumcised as an adult. And I bet he wishes he was like Noah and got a rainbow. But he didn't. That my, my parents are here, and that is a joke that my dad always tells when he teaches about Abraham, so I had to include that in there. But returning to Gaventa's question, throughout Galatians, Paul is talking about a surgical procedure that pertains only to men. Only male characters are named, except with the exception of one woman. And the hoped-for outcome, what Paul is arguing against, is that men in this church should not be circumcised. But let's put this into context. So last week, Justin talked about an argument between Paul and Peter that is recorded in Galatians 2. And the idea is that Jewish believers were putting barriers in the way of Gentiles, those who are not Jewish, coming into the family of God. For Peter, this was around um, fellowship with Gentiles and and eating rights and, and food restrictions. And Paul tells this story because another separate but related issue is happening in this church. The churches of Galatia are largely Gentile believers. And throughout the Bible, there are two overarching categories of people. There are the Jews and there are everyone else who are broadly called the Gentiles. Sometimes they're called the nations. The Greek word is ethnos. So this group of churches in Galatia, they are made up of people who were not Jewish when they first heard about Jesus. And Paul, he says this at the very beginning of Galatians, he said that he was called by God to share the gospel to the Gentiles, to the nations. Paul, very early in his ministry, went to Galatia. Galatians is one of Paul's earliest letters. And Paul went to Galatia, he shared the life-changing, life-saving message of Jesus Christ, of his death and his resurrection, and the gospel takes hold in these communities. And the church of Galatia, the churches really, of Galatia, are born about a faith in Christ that was preached by Paul. And then Paul, as an apostle, 
And as a missionary, he moves on. He leaves the church and he moves on. And after Paul leaves, another group of leaders come into this community or these communities. And these are Messianic Jewish teachers. They're possibly Jewish missionaries. Paul often calls them the Judaizers in his letter. But they come into these churches that are full of Gentiles who are saying, oh, well, we're the people of God now too in Christ. Typically, only Jews were the people of God. But we, as Gentiles, we are now the people of God through Christ. And the Judaizers tell them, uh-uh. No, that's not true. Paul did not go far enough to bring you into the people of God. The good news of Jesus means, yes, Gentiles can be the people of God, but their membership still requires circumcision. It still requires parts of the law. You must be marked by the covenant in order to be God's people. And the Judaizers often get really bad press. I want us to be careful of that because it is very possible that they see themselves as completing the work of Paul, that he just didn't go far enough. But you have, this new, you have these new believers in Galatia. They receive this beautiful gospel from Paul. They are told they are the people of God, that the title does not only belong to Jews, and then you have these Jewish teachers. Oh, and Paul leaves. Let's remember that. And then you have these Jewish teachers from a very large, dominant, old religious tradition. Judaism was not a mystery in the ancient world. People knew about it. It was a very credible faith. And you have these leaders of this very dominant religious tradition, and they say, if you want to be the people of God, you need to perform the most important rite of the law. You must be circumcised. You need to be physically marked in a way that separates you from the rest of the world. Very possible they encouraged them to adopt other parts of the Jewish law. The letter's a little less clear on that. But the, the bottom line is the Judaizers want Galatians to be circumcised. And Paul is not there to argue against this. But eventually he hears what's going on in Galatians, that these people are getting circumcised and that they are trusting in circumcision to make them part of God's people. And Galatians is Paul responding to this. He sees a crisis happening within these communities. And he creates a beautiful argument against the Judaizers' thoughts and ideas. And he insists the Galatians are already people of God. And while the Judaizers would likely say their teachings are just a progression of what Paul was teaching, for Paul, these Jewish teachers are teaching a completely different gospel. He says that in Galatians 1. He says, why are you turning to a different gospel? For Paul, this is not a difference of opinion. This is a chasm of two opposing ideas. And so, Beverly Gaventa asks the question, is Galatians just a guy thing? Is there something outside of the context that is still applicable in our modern world that is just so different from what these people are going through? And her conclusion is, yes, absolutely. Because Galatians talks about what God is doing through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for me, when I read Galatians, it answers fundamental questions about what it means to have life in Christ. Because cir circumcision may be the initial topic. It's the problem. It's the symptom. It's an expression of a deeper core issue of what's happening in the Galatians church. Because the Galatians are really just asking, well, who are the people of God? They're afraid that they're not. And I have a lot of empathy for the people in Galatia. 
Paul does not seem to have a lot of empathy for them. He calls them out several times, even insults them. But when I read Galatians, I just, I completely get these believers because all they want to know is that they're part of the family of God, that they are belonging and they are people of God. And the Judaizers tell them, well, there is a foolproof way. We can give you a one-time ritual, a well-known, concrete, tangible act that you can do, and it is a guarantee for you to belong to the people of God. And I get it, because that is an attractive offer. I get wanting certainty. I get wanting to take control and knowing that there is something that you can do to guarantee your status and your identity to have a tangible thing that you can point to, to know without a shadow of a doubt that you are enough to belong to the people of God, that you are part of God's chosen people. And that's why this book is still so relevant today, because I think in our churches we are still asking the questions, who are the people of God? Last week, Justin talked briefly about how we are saved by grace. We are saved by faith through grace. That is a question of salvation, which is, and this grace is available to everyone, and that is certainly part of the answer, and we're going to talk a little bit about that later. But what do the people of God look like? What marks you and me and us as a community as belonging to the people of God? That's the second part of the answer, and I think that's what the Galatians really want to know. Are we people of God? How do we know that we're people of God? How do we get there? How do we keep this status? Where is our certainty? And these are really questions about identity and belonging. Don't we want to know just as badly? Is it just me? Don't we want the same certainty the Galatians craved? I love a good certainty. Don't we want solutions and check marks and milestones so we can be sure that we are in versus being out? And I want to be really clear, the whole book of Galatians is trying to answer this question, which is why I recommend reading the whole book. But I specifically chose Galatians 5 and 6 this morning because I think these passages are moments of summary and transition in the letter where Paul is really trying to kind of bring together some of his bigger arguments. So I know these passages, um, they are lacking like some nuance. You could probably get a little bit more of a detailed answer by reading, but these are the passages that I want to dig into. So Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves again be burdened by a yoke of slavery. The people of God are marked by freedom. And freedom is a word that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And it's a word that we are increasingly concerned with in our world. And I'm not going to touch that one this morning. But I do want to talk about what Paul means here in this passage specifically, because freedom here is freedom from the gospel of circumcision. It is freedom from the belief that there is an external work that could make you part of the people of God, and not just entering into the people of God, but belonging in community to the people of God. It is a freedom from fear that you are not enough. It is the freedom to let go thinking there is something you could do that you could trust or that you could rely in a ritual or a work. Circumcision is not a bad thing. But trusting that itself could do the saving, that is the problem in Galatia. That you could somehow add to what Christ has already done and that you could get freedom from that. 
Can we Bible geek for a moment? Does anyone mind if I go full Bible geek for a moment? We're gonna, do, you know what, you can't really say no. So, I got the microphone, you can't say no. Anyway, so there's gonna be a slide that's coming up. So in Galatians 3 and 4, Paul creates this really complicated but beautiful chain argument. This is what I did my thesis on. Uh, and essentially retelling the story of Abraham because after all, the people of God are Abraham's children. He is the father of Israel through God. So, Paul retells the story of Abraham through a series of comparisons, and he draws connections between everything on the left column, left side column, and he contrasts it to everything that is connected on the right column that you see there. So the first thing Paul compares in Galatians 3 and 4, he compares works, aka circumcision, aka human effort, versus faith, which is faith in Christ. And he asks the Galatians, why are you trying to rely on human effort? Why are you relying on circumcision when we, can, when we can put our faith in Christ who has already done the work because he has been crucified? Then he moves on to a comparison of law versus the promise. And Paul connects the idea of law to works and connects the idea of promise to faith. And Paul insists that Abraham was a person of promise. He was promised to be the father of nations. And he had faith that it would be so. And it was the faith and the promise that saved him. And Christ is a fulfillment of that promise. Christ brings all the nations into the family of God through himself. So Abraham is the spiritual father of many nations. And yes, there is the law. But the purpose of the law was not to fulfill the promises that God made to Abraham. The law had an entirely different purpose. And it's now being used in this community to create a gospel of circumcision. And again, the law here is not the issue. The law, or sorry, the issue is putting faith in the law for your certainty, for believing that you are saved. The Judaizers are saying, well, you are not people of God unless you, know, you obey the law of circumcision. And Paul says, well, that was never the law's point. Like a gospel that relies on the law is opposed to the gospel of Christ. And Paul insists that the Gentiles are believers. They belong to the family of God because they are spiritual descendants of Abraham because they share the same faith as him. And that faith is realized in the person of Christ. So we receive Gentile believers. They receive the spiritual inheritance of being God's people and belonging to that family through faith in Christ. So the Galatians are people of God because of what Christ did. And this belonging is sealed as Christ forms himself in the Galatians. Galatians is this really beautiful that we are in Christ, but Christ is also in us. In both circumstances, being in Christ and Christ being in us, Christ does the work. And this argument reaches its culmination in Paul talking about Abraham's Two children, Isaac, or sorry, Ishmael and Isaac, born from their mothers, Hagar and Sarah. And they each represent something metaphorically. Ishmael was born of a slave woman, Hagar. She is the only woman who is given a name in this entire letter. And Paul says that Ishmael was born through human effort, connects to circumcision, connects to works and to the law. 
See, Abraham was trying to rush God's timing. He wasn't getting the child that he was promised, so he took matters into his own hands and he had a, sli- or he had a child with a slave woman. And Paul says that this child is born through human effort because it was not through God's plans and his promises. But Isaac, he is the child of the promise. He is born because God intervenes. Abraham and his freeborn wife, Sarah, were not capable of having children on their own, but God made it possible, bringing the promises made to Abraham to fruition. So Isaac is the freeborn son made possible by the fulfillment of God's promises. That is a beautiful argument. Paul is a genius. Anyways, the verse right before Galatians 5.1 that we were just reading, it says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but we are children of the free woman. Paul is saying, you are the children of the promise. You come into the family of God through the miraculous work of God through Christ. You are children of Abraham, and thus you are children of God, and your inheritance is free of the law and work and human effort. That is the freedom that Paul is talking about here. It is the freedom to be in Christ. It is a freedom that has nothing to do with entitlements or achievements. In fact, it is the exact opposite than that. It is the freedom of belonging and of knowing that belonging owes its existence to God's saving act of sending Christ. You are in the family of God through Christ and Christ alone. In Galatians 1, Paul summarizes his life before coming to Christ, and he uses the language of human achievement. He says, you've heard how I've advanced in Judaism above all of my peers. I was zealous in the Lord. He was moving up the Judaism corporate ladder. That's not a real thing, but run with it. And he, he writes about how he basically moved up the ladder in the faith. But then he encounters Christ. And there is a complete change in Paul's language. Paul writes that he was called, by, to, called to Christ by grace. That is the message and his mission is given to him by Christ. That it is no longer Paul that lives, but it is Christ who lives in him. Paul died to himself and to this world. And that includes trust and reliance on human works and achievement. In Galatians 6, which we read earlier, Paul says the Judaizers only really want to circumcise Gentiles because they are so preoccupied with the Gentiles' appearance of adhering to the law. They are going to be, they are concerned with how it looks if Gentile believers don't get circumcised. And a few verses later, Paul insists that we can never boast about anything. No human work, the only thing that we can ever boast in is the cross of Christ in which we have no involvement or effort because it is the cross of Christ that enables us to enter into the family of God and that is good news. That is the gospel. And so my question here for us this morning is what is our circumcision? Let's rephrase. What gospel are we putting our faith in? In what places are we trying to forge our identity? What are you doing, what are we doing to try to solidify our place in the family of God? And please remember that works in and of themselves are not a problem. It is a faith and a trust that those things can offer you certainty or some guarantee and that they themselves can make you righteous, that your works could possibly add to what Christ did. What is our alternate gospel? 
Is it the gospel of relationships or work or money that having these things or pursuing these things are somehow going to make us secure? Is our life marked by living out a calling where we try to gain earthly rewards like money or power or influence? Where we are so concerned with what the world thinks of us? Does, Christian, sorry, does church and Christian life simply provide for you another means of assessing yourself or trying to achieve? A measuring stick so you can feel better about the people around you? Does it just give you another place to prove your value? Justin and I, we used to attend Lakeside Downtown, which was uh, downtown, in this beautiful old building. And there was a plaque on the side of the wall. I can't remember the gentleman's name. Wouldn't shame him anyways. But there was a plaque on the side of the wall. The guy had attended the church his entire life. He died at like 85. And Justin's trying to mouth it. It's fine. I, the details aren't super important. But it said, this gentleman attended this church for like 75 years, and he only ever missed three Sundays. Great, that's awesome. I'm really happy that he was very loyal and dedicated to this church. I think it's a really good thing. I believe in the church. I believe in tending a church. But the fact that they erected like a monument to his church attendance strikes me as a little bit strange. That that is what we have to celebrate. A human achievement. Going to church. Going to church is great. But is that what marked his life? Do we truly believe as a people that there is nothing we can do to earn our spot with God? Do our lives, our individual lives and our life as a community, do they actually reflect that? Because embracing freedom in Christ means finding security, our calling, and our identity in Christ and in Christ alone. Later in Galatians 5, we didn't read it here this morning, but it says, you, my brothers and sisters, though brothers is probably apt in this letter, but you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. It's really interesting here. It says, do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. It's a translation choice. The word here is the same word that applies to flesh when Paul is talking about circumcision, when he's talking about the law, when he's talking about human effort. You, my brothers, you are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in all of your human efforts. Rather, serve one another in love. The freedom that marks God people also binds them together. They belong together in a community of freedom, serving one another in love. We are freed both to be in Christ, but also to belong to one another. And this is the second marker I want to talk about. It's that in our freedom, in our identity in Christ, we live a life of faith expressing itself through love. This is Galatians 5, 6. For Christ Jesus said, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only Thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. And this isn't about performing love or performing our faith because we have to or because we should. This is not about replacing one sets of musts and shoulds and oughts with another. Paul's already talked about this. That's useless. Trusting in human means of achieving and performing is useless. It's about being and embodying a people of hope a people of faith, a people who have Christ in them, and they cannot help but live that 
out, living out the embodiment of Christ in us to the outside world. It is about taking hold of our identity in Christ and his formation in us and sharing that outward. Galatians talks a lot about living in the spirit, about not being enslaved by the flesh or the sinful nature or our desires or human efforts. And so many of the decisions that we make in life are rooted in one of two things. They are rooted in fear, fear that we're not enough, that we're not doing enough, fear of the world, fear that we won't measure up, fear that we won't be a success, fear, fear. There's a lot of fear. We're very afraid. The Galatians are afraid they're not the people of God. So we can make decisions out of fear or we can make decisions out of love. Paul 5, or sorry, Paul, Galatians 5, 5. Paul tells the Galatians that we are empowered by the Spirit to hope for righteousness, not pursuing righteousness in and of itself, but in Christ making us righteous through his work, giving us right standing as part of God's people. And a few verses later, you have a very famous passage. It's called the fruit of the Spirit, about living a life outward from the Spirit inside of us, from Christ in us. And this is, again, not achievements. It's not a checklist. I have been to a lot of lessons where people say, okay, we're going to have a silent moment, and we're going to pray, and you're going to pick which fruit you're weakest on, and then we're going to work on it so you can be you know, more patient. It's always patience for me, so I'm just going to use patience. That was always mine. But that's not what this is about. This is not about something you work on and get right and you hope you move on to the next. This is a natural outflowing of the Spirit in us, showing itself in, the li- in our lives and in the life of our community. I love the message of fruit. It's an organic result of Christ being formed within believers. This is about outpouring, not performance. What is getting in the way of us, individuals as a community? What is getting in the way of us expressing our faith through love? Am I restricting the love I have for people because they don't perform or behave or act or they're not what I deem acceptable? Where am I living a life where I am trusting in human effort rather than an outpouring of the Spirit? Where am I making decisions out of fear rather than out of love? The last thing that Paul says is that the people of God are a new creation. In fact, this is how he ends his letter. Paul sums up his entire argument. Maybe I should have started with that, but he ends his entire argument with Galatians 6.15. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision actually mean anything. What counts is new creation. It's a hope for those who have already embraced circumcision and a hope for those who now they won't have to if you're living in Galatia. And it's a hope for those of us who have tried to earn and achieve, those of us who are trying to recover from those behaviors, and those of us who are just starting out on this journey. In Galatians 4.19, Paul writes that the Galatians are his children. He says, my little children, who I am again in the pains of labor with, so that Christ can be formed in you. Paul is talking about the Galatians undergoing a second act of birthing, a rebirth. It implies a complete return to the gospel that he initially preached about the church starting over again, letting go of the gospel of circumcision, eliminating trust 
in human efforts and activities, to stop looking for certainty in outside things, going back to the beginning. It is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. There's a law in physics, and I am paraphrasing for any, uh, what, are, what are they called? Physicists. I was going to call them physicians. I was like, that's not right. <laughs> for, there's a law of physics, so physicists, I'm paraphrasing. But it essentially says that no object, no thing, no person can occupy more than one space at a time. So you can't be in two places at once. And all throughout Galatians, Paul sets up these binary opposites, two forces that stand opposed to one another. There's the works versus faith, law versus promise, slave versus free, Paul's life before Christ and after Christ. And what Paul is saying is that the gospel is such a singular, transformative event that when we encounter the gospel, the world-shifting, axis-tilting, destabilizing power of the gospel, when the gospel of Christ has taken hold of our lives, there is no other place we can find ourselves in. It is impossible to simultaneously be under the law and also in Christ. Just as Paul talks about how the Galatians were trying to return to their former pagan ways, they couldn't return to their former pagan beliefs and rituals and also be in Christ. And he is essentially comparing pagan beliefs with the gospel of circumcision because both are useless for the Galatians. And I know for me this is really hard. It's very easy to say, though apparently I can't say the word physicist, but it's really easy for me to say, yeah, you know, I believe in the life-changing message of the gospel. I, I will not live under the law. I don't believe in works. I don't believe in achievement. No, that's not for me. But if I'm being really honest with myself, I want both. I want the life-changing message of the gospel, and I want the security of knowing I can do something to like, earn my place and stay there. I want both. I'm an achiever by nature. I like a good checklist. I like a good milestone. This is something that is really, really hard for me to accept and embrace. We have to move into a place where the foundational reality of our life is our identity in Christ and Christ through us. We are made new by that. Paul closes this letter telling the Galatians that by embracing the power of the gospel of Christ, by recognizing that circumcision, uncircumcision, it doesn't matter. All that matters is Christ. When you do that, you become the Israel of God, the people of God. This is another way of saying you belong to the family and the people of God. That's how Paul answers this question. Those are the people of God. They are a new creation in Christ. And here is again what's really hard about this, and again why I empathize with the Galatians. And maybe you're sitting here and you're like me, it's what I just said. Okay, freedom from works, great. Yes, love, great. I can do that. Seeing myself as a new creation, awesome. I'd love to give up the world standards so that they impose on me. Love it. And then the problem being that Paul does not provide a systematic step-by-step guide on how I can be this new creation. Because the thing I want to ask, it sounds too easy or too, maybe paradoxically too difficult because I want to know what I have to do. What do I have to do? What is the next requirement for me? How do I have certainty? How can I control the certainty of my situation? What do I have to do? 
And I'm not saying that there's not a place for a talk about right living in Christianity and being a disciple and following the life patterns of Christ. That is a, a different message. But I want to know what I have to do because I really like certainty and because I really can't let go of the belief that there must be something that I could do. How do we live out this calling? How do we make sure, or how do, why do we want to make sure that we are the people of God through our own means? I'm just going to end with this. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. If you'll bow your heads in prayer with me. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive and active and breathing and moving and that Paul could speak to this church so long ago and yet we sit here and it speaks to us. That it transcends the context and the circumstances and still brings such truth to our lives, God. We thank you that in Christ we are a new creation. We thank you that we can find our identity and our belonging in you, in Christ, and that you, in turn, come into us and transform us, that we are in you and you are in us. What a beautiful reality. God, may we never think that we have something that can add to the work you have already done through Christ. May we never think that we have something that could be better or in addition to the crucifixion of Christ God. May we put our hope and our faith and our certainty in Christ and nothing else, nothing that this world tells us we should try to achieve or strive for. Can we let go of our need to control, our need to think that we have to do something in order to enter into your family, God? Will you help us let it go? Will you speak to our hearts as we work through what it means to be your people and what it means to live as a new creation, what it means to express our faith through love, both to one another in community and also to the outside world. God, would you just speak to us on how we can do this because we can do nothing without you. Christ, we just give this to you all of our striving, all of our, our working, all of the impulses we have to forge our own destiny and forge our own place, God, can we just release it and surrender to you? And can we live in true freedom? In Christ's holy, holy name, amen.